Welcome. How are you guys doing this morning? Okay, I'm doing good too. It's interesting, I, I got a couple comments about the sermon last week. So if you are with us last week, we talked about healthy doubt and how doubt can be healthy. And so this week we're going to pivot a little bit and talk about doubt again, but it's going to look differently. So we're in the second week of this series called Disillusioned. And doubt is not a topic that we like to discuss as people, right? And so this week we're actually going to hear from a very interesting passage in Matthew chapter 16, where Peter doubts Jesus. If you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed. You'll see our digital bulletin and notes there. We are going to be Matthew. It is the first book of the New Testament. Let me pray, and then we will get into the passage soon. Heavenly Father, in our relationship with you, we bring expectations. And Lord, we pray that today you would open our hearts, our minds, our thoughts to what expectations we actually need to have. God, help this be a, be a time where we, when we're in your word, you open uh, our minds to, to different ways that we need to change our expectations on others, change our expectations on you and what you came to accomplish in your kingdom. Lord, help us to have kingdom expectations that are in alignment and just like your will for us is. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every person on this planet has expectations. Expectations on relationships. How do we know that? I'll get into it in a second. But we need to have kingdom expectations. Let me, let me explain. If you walk into Scoops, anyone been to Scoops lately? Okay, Scoops is open. I just found out Scoops is open. So you go up to Scoops. You go in there, you pay for an ice cream, you expect to receive a scoop of ice cream in return. You have expectations. Of course, right? If you pay for it, you should get receive the, the, the product. When we pay for Netflix, we expect to be able to log in and watch our shows whenever we feel like it on any device all over the planet. Right? When we commit to something, others expect us to follow through. Expectations fuel how we see the world. They fuel how we see the world. They are the currency in a world of other meaningless currencies. Cryptocurrency. Um, they're unseen, but they help us decide what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. As you can see, they're vitally important. And as vitally important, when they're completely out of whack, to, to paraphrase, we are headed in the wrong direction. When they are not what reality is, we can do crazy things. Things that we never thought we would do. Now, how does this make any sense in Matthew chapter 16? Because Jesus' disciples had expectation problems. And we have expectation problems. They were following Jesus, but their expectations were different than the reality of what Jesus' mission was and is. His mission still continues. We can become full of doubt. Full of doubt. 
when God does not meet our expectations. But God wants to change our limited view of him. We can become full of doubt. Full of doubt. You notice it says full, full. That's a lot. When God doesn't meet our expectations. But God wants to change our limited view of him. Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. You can, you can follow along. I'm going to talk a little bit about verses 13 through 19 there. Jesus asked his disciples, who do, you say, who do they say, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples had many answers, mostly different prophets. So, oh, you're like Elijah or you're, you're like Moses. But then Jesus asks another question. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but it says, who do you all think I am? Now, the, the you is plural there. I'm not just adding a folksy addition. He's saying, all of you, who do you think I am? And Peter, being the spokesperson in the room, everyone know who one of those people are? You know, when you're in a group and it's the first person to answer all the questions? Being the spokesperson or the loud guy in the room blurts out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying something that is incredibly profound, considering the passage we're going to dig a little bit deeper in today. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, that the, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a play on words here, because the Greek words for Peter and for rock are very similar. You almost can't tell the differences when you say them. Jesus is saying Peter's going to be the one leading the church. So then when Jesus says in Matthew 16, verse 20, right after this, what he says there is very curious. Considering he just said, Peter, I'm going to build the church on you, and you're right, I am the Christ. I mean, that's what he's saying. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 20 through 23. If you're already there, it won't take you much time. But I'm going to read verse 20, and I want to emphasize one word here. Then he, this is Jesus, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one that he is the Christ. He's emphatic. Peter just has this earth-shattering observation. And I I bet you the disciples are pretty excited about this, about who Jesus is. But then Jesus is like, you need to be quiet. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone or else. We're going to see Peter go from the rock that Jesus is going to build his church just within a couple more verses to a rock that Jesus is tripping over. Partly because Peter's expectations. Peter has certain expectations on Jesus on what he will do and be and then Peter becomes filled with doubt as we can be. We can be full of doubt when God doesn't meet our expectations. But God wants to change our limited view of him. So Jesus starts trying to change their expectations. And maybe he knew, I don't know, he read their mind, but he knew that they thought the Christ was going to be some victorious leader, as we're going to see in the next few verses. I'm going to read verse 21 here, where it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to to Jerusalem and suffer 
many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We're not really sure how long he teaches them. It doesn't say there. That's not the point. It's what he is teaching them. This was a change in Jesus' ministry from Galilee to moving to Jerusalem and then to the cross. Jesus' emphasis here is very important. If you notice, it says, I must go to Jerusalem. That's the only way I can go. So what is he going to do there? And this is where the expectations are not what Jesus was going to have happen. The disciples clearly did not think like this. And, and so he's going to suffer and be killed. That's what they're focused on. We'll see that from Peter's response. But, but then he's going to be raised on the third day. That is what's going to happen. And the most shocking part of the expectations that the disciples had is that, that the people causing that suffering and death, who were they? They were the religious leaders that the, that the disciples would have thought, well, they would have been for him because he's going to free us from Ro- the Romans. Our expectations need to change. Simple as that. Our expectations need to change. Every one of you walked in today with expectations, whether it's expectations on something I'm doing or expectations on the person you're sitting next to or expectations on your family members or expectations on how good lunch is going to be. You came in with expectations. Our expectations need to change. The disciples' expectations were different than what Jesus is accomplishing. And this side of heaven, I I know that our expectations need to shift in the direction of what Jesus was really accomplishing and is accomplishing. Our expectations of Jesus matter, they matter. Clearly they matter. Jesus' power over the grave. Jesus is doing what he does so we can be saved. He died and became our sacrifice, but he's alive sitting at the right hand of God now. He comes to fulfill the law and the prophets. He comes to bring the kingdom, but it's not what the disciples thought it was. And sometimes we forget that. He didn't come to be a celebrity. You know, Jesus could have been the greatest celebrity ever. He comes to be the Christ, and as Peter said, the son of the living God, to suffer, to die, and to be raised again. You can't separate what Peter said, the son of the living God, from suffering, death, and him being raised from the dead. You can't separate the two. And the disciples were definitely separating that. Christ crucified is central to our faith. If, if you take that out and you take the resurrection out, you got nothing. You got just another prophet like the people thought he was. Listen to the words of Paul to the Corinthian church. He, he writes to them because they're struggling with this one issue. In 1 Corinthians 1, through 24, it says, For Jews demand signs. That's what the people were doing there. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified it's a stumbling block. Stumbling block is something you trip over. So when you, when it, it's like there's a rock in the middle of the road, you don't see it and you trip over it. There's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It's either foolish or a stumbling block. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. You notice Paul there is actually addressing the first part, the sign. Jesus is the power of God. The second part, the wisdom of God. He's addressing what the Greeks were having trouble with. And if you go further up in that passage, which I think is important, that's why I read it this way. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's only foolish to those who are perishing. It's wisdom to those that follow him. When we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, people are thinking two things, and they still do this. They either think it's foolish or they're demanding evidence. Give me evidence. I need evidence. That's what Paul encountered and we still do today. It's no different. Nothing's changed. The expectations are not in alignment with God's will. The cross of Christ and the ensuing resurrection that happened right afterward requires for our expectations to change. When we encounter a difference of expectations, like Paul did, and I would say Peter as well, as we're going to see, we need to go back to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2.2. And there it says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about Jesus, what he says about himself, and what he does and is doing is what's most important. It's just all about his sacrifice. And there are many reasons why this is offensive to people. But let's look at why it's offensive to Peter. Because isn't Peter the person that Jesus just said he's going to build his church on? And yet, Peter gets really offended here. And Jesus has a pretty strong response to Peter that we wouldn't understand if we didn't look at this in a bigger, bigger picture. God's wisdom is going to be foolish to the world. That's just what it's going to be. This next verse, though, shows what ex- Peter's expectations are. So follow along with me in verse 22. Verse 22, it says, And Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I'm going to stop there. Some of you are already cheating and looking ahead. Because Jesus' response is pretty prompt. Watch what happens here. Peter this time, instead of speaking up that Jesus is the Christ in front of everyone, he decides to pull Jesus aside because he's trying to be a little bit more decent about it. He's disillusioned. He rebukes Jesus. He's trying to tell Jesus what's right or wrong. He's trying to pastor Jesus. Wow. Wow. First, it's far be it from you. Peter's saying, don't let this happen. This is, oh, He even gets deeper. This shall never happen to you. There's no chance in Peter's mind that what Jesus just said is going to happen. But we all know the end of the story right now, right? Or at least the point we're at in in history. There's no chance in Peter's mind. No chance. That's what happens many times in our relationship when our relationship expectations are not met. There's no chance that this is going to happen. We're set in our ways instead of God's ways. Peter's relationship expectations with Jesus are being challenged. Ours need to be challenged sometimes. He's saying you cannot die. And one way that we struggle with our expectations, and we can be spiritually let down, is a poor understanding of God. 
Like Peter, we create this, this framework for our relationship. What our relationship with God needs to look like and what Jesus did and does. But for Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection was the purpose of his entrance into history. For Peter, it was something different. It was something different than that. Peter's expectations matter more to him than Jesus' plans. Peter's expectations matter more to him than Jesus' plans. I say that, and it's really convicting to think of that. Let us not be arrogant like Peter, thinking our expectations matter more than Jesus' plans. Thinking we know better than Jesus, we can take the offensiveness out of the cross. Peter probably thought, you know, if King David lived so long and is prosperous, how could Jesus die so young? He's the one that all the prophecies are about in the Old Testament. He's the one from David's family. How could this be? Well, there's a reason why he was thinking the way he was thinking. One of the expectations the disciples had was for a political savior. The Jews thought the savior was going to be a military king, the one that would destroy the Romans and establish a national kingdom. Even after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead, there were disciples that thought this. Follow along in Acts 1.6. If, if you don't think this is really true, it's right here in Scripture. Acts 1.6. So when they come together, Jesus has already been raised from the dead. He hasn't ascended to heaven yet. And when, it says when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is like, I already did. They missed it even then. Even after the resurrection, even after he was raised from the dead, they missed it. I guess we can be in good company sometimes. We can't seek a political savior either, like they did. We've drifted so far from God as a country, we're seeking help from men instead of God. Jesus will say he's more than that. He's more than just creating a national kingdom for Israel. He's more than creating a national kingdom called the United States of America. He's more than that. We need to be seeking Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the one true Savior. Now, I mentioned three types of doubt last week. Quiz, pop quiz. I know you guys love this on Sunday mornings. You're like, this is not the sixth day of school this week. I mentioned three types of doubt. Intellectual, emotional, and moral. You didn't listen to the sermon last week. Go listen to it. Listen to that section. Which one do you think Peter is exhibiting here? Which type of doubt? It's intellectual emotional or moral i'm gonna i'm gonna pause for a second give you time to think peter is exhibiting and behind door number one emotional doubt which i defined last week as when we don't feel like christianity is true when we don't feel like what jesus is saying is true peter's expectations have driven him into a cloud of doubt peter's probably thinking based on what he said, like, why would you have to die? No reason I can think of. And even then, I need to confront this wrong thinking. I need to rebuke. So he rebukes the Savior he's been longing for. Isn't that a little interesting? I find it interesting. Because Jesus' response is stronger than I think we would expect. We've talked about grace. We've talked about mercy. We've talked about response. 
And woe does he pull out the most strong response for Peter. I'm going to read verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Jesus turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on things of God, but the things of men. Anyone want to take a deep breath right now? Jesus' words right here might be shocking if we don't know the context of what Peter was doing. Peter just gave the same temptation as Satan did and does in the desert as Jesus starts his ministry on earth. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. If, I, if, if you don't pay the penalty for sin, then you can have all the kingdoms. Peter, like Satan, was tempting Jesus to take the easy road. Jesus, I mean, Peter's like, you know, Jesus, you can have the kingdom without all the suffering, without the sacrifice, without the pain. But in reality, this was all God's plan. The path to the cross was inescapable. It was the way of suffering for the penalty of sin. This one, the one, the Peter, the one that that Jesus described as the rock to build his church is now a negative rock that he's stumbling over because of the temptation that he's putting before him. Peter's setting his his mind on things of men rather than things of God. Peter expects a conquering king, not a crucified Christ. And you'll see later in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter picks up a sword and goes to attack a soldier because he's expecting a conquering king, not a crucified Christ. I have a few highlights from this passage. First, we are not called to pastor Jesus. We're not called to pastor Jesus. We are called to follow him. And sometimes we forget those two things. We're not called to pastor Jesus. If, it, if we act like Peter, we're saying, hey, Jesus, you're going the wrong direction. When we doubt, we try to tell him what to do rather than listening to him and his will. Peter is literally, he's saying this. You're not doing this right, Jesus. You're not doing this right. Well, what is right? Peter's expectations or God's plan? Peter wasn't Satan, but he was an adversary like Satan on Jesus' path to the cross. So I'm left with the question, are we going to be an adversary to the good news of Jesus Christ? The, the suffering Death on the cross and the resurrection. Sometimes Christians and even pastors preach good news that doesn't include that we will share in the sufferings of Jesus. That we, if you're a believer and then following him, you're going to share in his sufferings. May not look the same. We will share in sufferings as we follow him, but we're also, we shouldn't doubt when suffering comes. It's going to happen. It will happen. It's a certainty. You will have difficulty in this life. Peter first doubted Jesus' death, but then later, he died for the good news. 
Wasn't that a huge change? He was a martyr. He chose to do whatever it took to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ because he changed his expectations. Second observation, highlight. I don't know if you call this one a highlight. It's a little little scarier. Don't be satanic. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? You might be shocked that I would say this, but let me explain. Being satanic in our thinking is letting the world's ways dictate our decisions instead of God. You're making a decision. It's either the world or God. There's only, there's only two options. There's really no other options. So Peter didn't want God's way, a crucified Christ. He wanted someone to conquer. Last week we talked about John the Baptist. He wanted victory now rather than waiting for the eternal victory that was coming. Before you separate yourself from Peter and say, I'm not like Peter, let me give you some examples. I still distinctly remember calling my dad with excitement because I decided through a bunch of factors that I needed to go to seminary. And when I made that decision, I got really excited. I call him, and like parents do, and some of you in this room have probably had these conversations, so no judgment because I probably will have them someday too. He said, how are you going to make money doing that? What, you're going into more debt to go into a job that doesn't, it's, you're, you're not becoming an engineer. Go into debt to do something that doesn't pay well. How are you going to provide for the family? Like when you have a family, how's that going to work? God's the provider. God was calling me to do something different than the picture my parents had, expectations they had on me. So here's what the, the end of that story is that my dad was letting the world dictate what he expected me to do and be. But I also remember another phone call. And this one was even more important. And you say, why? I was living at home, so why is it phone calls? I was uh, in college, and I was driving 30 minutes to college, so I'd stay on campus all day. So that's probably why it was a phone call. But he called me, and he, he said he was wrong. He was proud of me, and he wanted to support me. And he thought that was the best thing I could do with my life. Don't be satanic. Don't try to stop your son or daughter or a friend from going in the mission field because you're scared or their safety. Don't say no to opportunities because of worldly factors, but only as God wills it. God isn't safe, but he's good. Peter wanted Jesus to be safe. Isn't that a good value, right? God isn't safe, but he's good. The third highlight here is that God is patient with us. God is patient with us. Jesus is still teaching us about what our expectations should be in our relationship with God. He doesn't just ignore what Peter says to him. He doesn't stop at get behind me, Satan. He continues and teaches Peter. He's patient. He doesn't change what he said about building the church through Peter. Jesus looked at a moment of weakness and said, I'm going to be patient. This is the same Peter that he was patient with that later says in 2 Peter chapter 3, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's his call to us, is to grow in grace, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
I, for one, am very glad Jesus was patient with Peter. Jesus gives us expectations we should know. We have two choices. God's way or Satan's way. The, the, the ways of the world, the ways of man, the, the things of God, the things of man. I think it's important to note that the things of man breed doubt. But the things of God remove doubt. The things of man breed doubt. But the things of God remove doubt. We can become full of doubt when God doesn't meet our expectations. I've been there. I know what that's like. But God wants to change our limited view of him. I don't think this side of heaven you're going to know everything about God. Even if you dedicated every second for the rest of your life in pursuit of him. How has God been changing your limited view of him? How's God been doing that? So what? What does it matter? I know none of us really want Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan, right? So let's start, you know, we don't want that to happen in our lives. So how do we apply what's here, what we see here? We let God change our perspective and our expectations. We let God do that. We will choose to have kingdom expectations rather than our own that we put on God. The kingdom with a crucified king, risen to reign. No other kingdom will we serve. Is our relationship with God about all about him meeting our expectations? And when he doesn't, do we doubt him? Or is our relationship with God about him shaping our desires, expectations, and understanding of life to his will? How can we be for our community in this? We've been talking about how we are forced to bend. How are we forced to bend with this? What does this mean? We're going to help others change their expectations about God. You know how many times I've heard something like someone says something and they're like, well, so-and-so told me. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense. I mean, here's the Bible verse. I mean, we can go back to a Bible verse. That's not what that means. You know, one expectation that I think you're not going to find it in Scripture, but God helps those who help themselves. Ooh, it actually doesn't really sound like anything that's in the Bible. Be clear with others about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. Be clear with others. So just, this is who Jesus is. Yes, as a Christian, your life is not going to get easier. It may actually get harder, but at least you have an eternal focus. And so right now doesn't, doesn't hurt you in the same way that it might when you have no hope. How does this connect to our church values? We, we want to build into others the things Jesus accomplishes rather than the things of man. We want to build into others. This is what Jesus has accomplished. And we're bringing people to a patient God who pursues us. Something that's important, when you look at that passage, do you see what Jesus does before he says the get behind me, Satan? It actually says, but he turned. He pursued Peter in that. He could have walked away. 
but he pursued Peter. He turned to Peter and talked to him. God pursues us in his patience. God wants to change our limited view of him. He's got a different kingdom expectations than we do. Are you listening to him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I think many of us have had moments where we felt like Peter. We're super passionate about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, and we say, you know, we want to serve the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then, then minutes, days, weeks later, we're like, I like Jesus, but I don't like this suffering that I'm feeling. I don't like this pain that I'm going through. And then we start to shape our expectations around that, about, about if, if it doesn't feel good, then it must not be good. God, please help us to change our expectations to be, a, be in alignment so that, that they are what God's will for our lives is. As we see in your word here, let us not be tempted to run from suffering, but let us suffer like Jesus did in how we go through our walk with him. Let us follow him wherever it leads, no matter the cost. God, help us as we, we struggle with one of the three types of doubt. God, help us to, to not get caught up in our emotions like Peter did, but help us to pursue him through all that we can with our mind and our feelings and our hearts. God, we are just thankful that you are patient with us and you sent your son to create an eternal kingdom, not just a kingdom that would live for one period of time, but for all eternity. We are so thankful for that. And we pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.